Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. afternoon and happy new year it's another beautiful day here in the pacific northwest and just incredibly gorgeous for january 2nd you know we, we get these odd days where we don't know if it's going to be foggy or not here in the valley and today we never got fog and, and it actually got up into the upper 40s bright sunshine and uh, just one of those days it's just nice to be living in the pacific northwest but instead of being outside enjoying the good weather, I am inside with no guest host here, not like the Rush Limbaugh show. You get the real host here on the Bose Nose show. I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and this is the show you can control topic. All you have to do is call us at 646-721-9887 and just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one. So, you know, it's a new year, you know, a new day and all that stuff. Kind of, you know, New Year's is, is kind of one of those funny things where um, you, you, it's sort of an arbitrary holiday. <laughs> I love some of the the comics over the weekend when they're talking about how arbitrary New Year's Day is. Uh, and and uh, it's just kind of, we, we pick one day to restart the calendar out of the year. We turn that into a celebration. <laughs> so kind of happy arbitrary calendar flipping day to everybody. Uh, but it is kind of cool. You know, we've made a trip around the sun. We're all still here. Uh, you know, the world hasn't, blown to pieces or anything like that. So it's a good day. In fact, it's a good day any day, right? Um, so a few things to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show today if folks don't call in and take control of the conversation. And that is, I want to talk a little bit about the courthouse because you know I got to go on KPNW's wake-up call this morning at, oh my God, in the morning. And uh, talk courthouse a little bit with Bill London. And I also was interchanging a, an email with a, a constituent out in the no-tie area and uh, made me think about there are a few things I'd like to talk about on the courthouse. You know, first of all, folks might have missed some of the conversation back before Christmas um, when there was no guest host then either uh, about the courthouse. So I want to reiterate some of, you know, why do we need a courthouse? You know, why does it cost so much? You know, the, that cost seems like a lot. And um, just cover some of those aspects. You know, why why we went ahead with a land purchase, even though we don't have all the financing lined up and all that good stuff. Um, some of the questions that came up on the, on the wake-up call this morning. And uh, we'll just talk courthouse for a little while today. And then I want to kind of get into some transportation planning, and in particular, I think instead of a, a what were they thinking today, we're going to have a what are they thinking today. So um, we'll get into that somewhat. Kind of, kind of gave it away a little bit on my Facebook uh, promos for the show. Um, but once again, Franklin Boulevard becomes the topic of the Bose Nose Show. It seems to be a, a uh, <laughs> reoccurring theme on the Bose Nose Show. But the county courthouse, I, I, I kind of got to reach back into this and set this conversation up a bit. You know, we announced um, on December 18th, we kind of unveiled the final 
all-in cost estimate that a, a contractor gave us for replacing our courthouse with an updated new modern facility that's big enough to last us into, um, you know, well in, into the, towards the end of the century here, if not beyond, uh, you know, building lifespan of at least a hundred years um, and at least adequate space for um, the next, you know, 50 to, to hundred years as far as court needs go. And that all in cost kind of has people going, wow. But, you know, it's one of those things where, a lot of times government has a tendency to announce the cost of a building is just the construction cost. And they, they ignore things like how much did the land cost to purchase? What's the engineering going to cost? You know, uh, that's just the shell of the building. What about buying furniture? You know, things like that. So they kind of projects seem to have all these cost scope creeps and all that stuff, or they keep having to, you know, reallocate more money to whatever it is they're doing. We kind of decided to do things a little bit differently because um, Lane County tries to be a bit different and be more um, upfront with the voters and trying to build our trust. And we built a cost estimate that has all of that in it. It's got the cost of the land, some costs we've already you know, incurred to date um, are included in that $252 million, like the $2 million that we're paying the city of Eugene uh, in addition to the um, – butterfly lot for the entire um, former city hall block um, that we're buying. And uh, in fact, we sh the ink should be just about drying on the paperwork between our um, the city of Eugene and the county as far as signing the final um, transfer of property. And that, you know, that's in that cost estimate. Things like all of the design work that we're gonna have to do um, all the site work, you know, regrading the site and, and, you know, things that are outside the building, like sidewalks and the parking lot, all that's included. Improvements we might have to make to the streets around it to get in the, get the new entrances into that, that block and, uh, you know, pedestrian crosswalks, all that stuff, you know, is all in there, including some contingencies, some uh, inflation uh, costs, because, you know, we're not going to be building it Today, we're going to be building it a couple of years from now after we complete design and get all the, the financing together. So we had to take, you know, today's cost and inflate them out a couple of years. So it has contingencies built in. It's got, you know, the soft cost built into it. It's got the furniture built into it. It's everything for the courthouse. But the other part is because we're doing this under the state's a uh, new program to help counties um, uh, re, you know, build new court facilities and, and replace their, their aging courthouses, we're going to be eligible for state bond matching money. In fact, we've already, already um, gotten over $5 million in state bond matching money. It's helped us with the land purchase, is helping us with some of the uh, consulting work that was done to get to this cost estimate. And, is, and there's still some left over that's going to help us with the um, final design work, uh, starting on the final design work towards uh, construction documents on the building. Uh, so, you know, that state amount is going to total a little bit more than $94 million. So roughly 40% of the project. So we'll only have to look to local sources, and, and we've already, you know, done some of this through some uh, of this, the federal secure rural schools money that we get that we weren't expecting. So we set some of that aside uh, for this cost, but around $142 million, $152 million. So that's really the, the local cost of the courthouse. So it's kind of like somebody stepping up and saying, you know what, I'll put 40% of, of the cost of that house that you want to build down for you. And and you just you you t you make up the rest, and, and I don't know a whole lot of people that would go. Ah, no, I don't think I'll consider building a house with that that offer. You know, um, you know most people would jump at the chance to have somebody pay for forty percent of their house, and that's basically what the state has has chosen to do because courthouses are one of the mandated 
requirements that a county has to provide. We have to provide a jail under state law and we have to provide a court facility, a courthouse. So it's one of those things where we have to do it. Like we're also required to be the board of health under state law. Um, so that's one of the mandated things we have to do. And fortunately, the state has come along and realized that a lot of the counties, you know, after the timber issues that happened and uh, the recession, just don't have the capability to put together enough funds to replace their courthouses. So they came up with a program that will match um, part of that funding depending on um, what's located in the courthouse. And uh, after going through the various formulas and all that, we're eligible for about $94 million in state matching grants. And that's what we've asked the legislature to approve. Actually, we're asking for another $87 million this coming session at, on top of the $5 million we've already received. So that's kind of the, the big scary numbers. You know, this, this, you know, we're asking the, the, the taxpayers to fund, you know, most of that 152 million. We've already actually funded some of it. It's going to be more like about 148 million. We'll be asking the taxpayers, local taxpayers to fund. The state's going to chip in 94 million. And, uh, you know, hopefully we end up with a new courthouse. Now, why do we need a new courthouse is a big question I get a lot of times. And I think most folks, if you've been in the existing courthouse, realize just how old it is and how um, difficult it is to um, get around in in some ways. Uh, you know, you have to, if you're, particularly if you are um, mobility limited in any way. It's not a, a very friendly courthouse for that. Lots of stairs. The entrance is a half floor off from the floors. So you either have to go up or down a half floor to get to a floor before you can get to the main elevator. So there's an elevator that goes up a half floor that you have to ride on to get to the elevators to go to any other floors. Um, the only There's only one entrance in with, with um, screening. Um, and, you know, can sometimes if there's a, a jury that's being being let through can back up and you can actually miss court times if you're not careful about getting to your court time early because uh, that one screening device you know can back up quite a ways into the lobby if there's you know a 60 person jury panel that's trying to get through ahead of you <laughs> so you know there's lots about that building it was built in 19 you know 1950s it was opened in 1959 you know, Lane County's population was less than half of what it is now. And there's now 33,000 cases a year that go through that courthouse. So, you know, not every case goes to trial or requires a courtroom, but you can imagine that requires a lot of facility to, to process that 33,000 cases. And, um, you know, that it's just not set up for the modern style court, which has changed somewhat. You know, a lot of um, court facilities were basically set up, you know, everything was dealt with by jury trial for the most part or in front of a judge. Nowadays, a lot of court proceedings, especially um, civil suits um, and uh, family law issues and other things like that are handled through um, mediation between parties um, through the judge, you know, um, and that mediation process usually requires multiple rooms that parties can be separated in and the judge can kind of shuttle between them and the attorney, you know, so that each party can be in a room with their attorney and the judge, you know, goes between party to party to mediate a settlement in a, in a suit. Um, that facility was never set up with that in mind. There's just not enough meeting rooms, let alone if you've ever served on a jury in that courthouse, you understand just how it is not set up for uh, modern jury trials. First of all, there is no um, room for jury assembly in the actual court building because the court building is so inadequate that where you've got offices leased for the DA's office in, in downtown for the 
part of their staff because we can't get all the DA office in that building. The actual um, jury assembly room is in the county office building next door in the basement. And when they have to move a jury um, pool into the court facility to be interviewed by the uh, defense and prosecuting attorneys to try and decide on who's going to actually sit in the jury, they have to be brought in through security all at once, which is why security backs up. But because there isn't an ADA um, access between the jury assembly room and the courthouse, they have to actually go outside and around outside the building and use a handicap ramp outside the building to get back into the courthouse. You know, and then, of course, if they are handicapped, they have to ride that half-story elevator to get into the courthouse facility. Um, so it's not a lot of fun, you know, being in that jury pool and getting moved around that way. It also makes, you know, takes a lot of time and, and it's time consuming and time, you know, costs, it causes problems with the courts and scheduling. Once you're on a jury, the jury boxes have no room for wheelchairs and no accessibility. A lot of them are elevated and no way to put somebody up in the jury box that's in a wheelchair. So that if you're in a wheelchair serving on a jury, you get sat separately sort of from the rest of the jurors. And then the actual jury rooms or deliberation are tiny and crowded and they have little bathrooms off of them that the doorways are about 18 inches wide. So you can't get through them in a wheelchair. So it makes it very difficult with a sequestered jury at all you know, if you have to move somebody out into the public restroom and clear the restroom and the hallway, make sure there's no contact and everything, get that person in and out of the restroom and back into the jury deliberation room if you have somebody serving on a jury that's handicapped, let alone the fact that those jury rooms are dreadful um, as far as, you know, everything from air conditioning to um, facilities that are available and, and just being very, very crowded. But that's just, you know, part of the story. Uh, some of the other issues are around just, you know, being able to separate um, inmates coming into trials on some of the courtrooms from the actual public and uh, witnesses and potential jurors that might be here in a case. Because for some of the courtrooms, the inmates actually have to come from the inmate transport elevator, which is on the north side of the building, and cross through the public lobby to get to the courtrooms that are on the south side of the building, where, you know, somebody accused of domestic violence might have his victim waiting to go in and testify, sitting out there, you know, and, you know, be able to, you know, maybe give a hand signal or a hard stare or something that might, you know, impede testimony. Um, it's just not a building that, that lends to um, getting a really decent, fair trial uh, in a lot of ways because of that. It also could have a juror seeing, you know, somebody walk across and, you know, hand them foot shackles, um, you know, before they're unshackled and all that, which has been an issue for the Ninth Circuit Court about um, prejudicing juries. They, you know, they've been asking to, to have jurors unshackled before they enter a courtroom so that the juries don't see them shackled and, and have that kind of presumption of guilt versus the presumption of innocence. So issues like that, you know, are some of the reasons why we need a new courthouse. Just in the fact that we're busting the seams, there's only uh, 13 courtrooms in the, in the existing courthouse. Um, it causes the fact that we have to juggle um, uh, court scheduling between the ju judges because there's more judges than there are courtrooms, and it tends to mean that that court dates get put out in the future quite a ways. And one of the things about you know the justice system is delayed justice is not not good justice. You know we really want folks to get you know on with their trials and have at least as rapid trial as is possible. Um, so you know that's you know, just part of the issues going on with the existing courthouse, not to mention the fact that, you know, there was a study done 
before I got on the board about, you know, could we possibly refurbish that courthouse and continue to use it, you know, and maybe even expand on it to get some of the capacity. And that study basically said there's no way we could possibly do that, keep the courts running at the same time because the, the building's not seismically sound and it needs to have some seismic upgrades done to it, which it can be made seismically sound. Problem is, is you need to strip down to some of the um, structural elements where there's uh, the joints between the beams and the columns is where the weakness occurs and need to be strengthened. Well, it's pretty hard to keep a courtroom running if you got to strip all the wallboard and, and uh, get down to structural elements <laughs> and then re reinstall that stuff. Um, so you can't just kind of keep the things running as, as normal and you can't do it, you know, a floor at a time or something like that. They, they looked at that in that study. It's just really impossible to refurbish the existing courthouse unless you empty it out and shut it down for a while. Then it's fair. Then it might, then it has possibilities to be um, seismically upgraded and maybe repurposed, which is, you know, a possibility in the future. And a question that's been asked me is what happens to the old courthouse? Well, the city of Eugene has the first um, right of refusal under the land swap deal, and that could possibly become um, city offices as the city of Eugene leases a lot of space around downtown and multiple buildings for their staff. So that may be, you know, a future city office uh, building after it gets repurposed. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about why downtown? Because one of the questions that came up to me was one I hadn't anticipated before, which is, I hate going downtown. I don't like the traffic. It's hard to park. Why can't you guys put it out like at your your public works where your public works folks are on Delta Highway or something or somewhere around the perimeter of Eugene or or um, you know, so it's easier to get in and out of and you know put a bunch of surface parking around it. And, you know, in some ways that sounds like it makes sense. The only issue with that is, you know, one, there was, you know, we went through, a, had to go to court just to move it the two blocks to the east anyway and prove that we were, we could legally build outside of, of the original courthouse square as, as, as envisioned um, by Mary and Eugene Skinner. Um, but Eugene is the county seat. And we have to keep stay within Eugene, the city of Eugene boundaries. So that kind of limits us there. Secondly, um, there is a real need to have the courthouse be relatively short distance from the jail for the movement of inmates to and from court dates and hearings and appearances. Uh, and our current jail facility, which we wouldn't want to move or replace, is down there on Fifth Street a couple blocks away. It's a relatively short transport time and makes it a fairly efficient movement of folks to and from the court facilities. So that's that's you know part of it is you need your courthouse to be close to your jail. The second part of it is there's a lot of private sector support for the court that happens in downtown Eugene that would not be out in some suburban area closer to Beltline Road or um, you know, I-5, which would have to move with it. All the attorney's offices, the court reporter's building, which is across across the street um, uh, about 8th and Pearl, you know, where all the court reporters um, live that are contracted to come in and do the, that stenography for the courts. Um, the um, other various agencies, victim services agencies and stuff that are located close to the courthouse because they're constantly dealing with the courts, um, title companies, all of those offices that are now full of those, those folks that deal with the courts on a regular basis, there's not that kind of office infrastructure somewhere else. Kind of why there's so much traffic down there is because there's so much other stuff that interrelates with, with the courts. You know, 33,000 cases a year. There's going to be folks outside of the courts that are dealing with that. You know, there's always going to be the, you know, the, the attorneys for the plaintiffs, the attorneys for the defendants, you know, for 
other parties that might have to be, you know, testifying and, and folks that are intervening and respondents, you know, just, you know, think of all the attorneys just to start with. Um, and then all the other various services, you know, from, you know, private investigators to the title companies when it's coming to, you know, property issues, just, you know, a whole bunch of folks that are part of downtown moving out of downtown would uproot a huge piece of downtown's, you know, current occupancy. So, and, and, you know, who's going to build those buildings. And so if we put the courthouse somewhere, we got to put it somewhere where there's office zoning nearby, <laughs> you know, otherwise we're going to have a lot of people commuting out of downtown to the court building and back. So between the jail the existing um, private side of the courts that is in downtown, pretty difficult to pull a courthouse out of a downtown where it's existed there for the length of time that Lane County Courthouse has. So that's kind of the, the ABCs of why the courthouse is in downtown, what that big dollar amount really includes, what we're going to probably be asking voters for uh, possibly in May. And by the way, when you take you know, a bond measure for all of Lane County. We have the whole Lane County um, tax base to support that. So the amount of the actual bond request is, looks like it's going to be 29 cents per thousand of taxable assessed value. When you think about that, 4J's recent bond measure was 66 cents, more than twice that amount. So we're not going to be asking for you know, a, a very big increase. And we recently retired another bond that we had when we built the Servo Youth Center, which was 11 cents per thousand on your tax bill. So, we're, you know, we retired that 11 cents, you know, about a year and a half ago, and we're, we're going to be asking to add 29 cents back on. So kind of a net add of 18 cents per thousand. <clears throat> for justice facilities uh, in Lane County. So hoping, you know, folks understand that, you know, you know, we're going to get this, you know, 94 million match from the state. I'm hoping to set up, if we legally can do this, set up the, um, the bond vote where we actually have in the ballot measure that we will not um, ask for the bonds until we have assurances from the state that they're going to do their $94 million match. You know, that one doesn't happen without the other. So, that, you know, if we don't get the match, we don't, we don't um, issue the bonds. So, because um, the, the decision for the match is coming up this spring in the state legislature. So, you got something, Robin? No, not yet. Uh, sorry, I thought I heard you, 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 your comment chime in there. It might've just been a, a feedback on my end, but that's kind of the courthouse in a nutshell. Any questions about the courthouse or anything else you want to talk about here on the Bose nose show before we change subjects? Cause you're allowed to change the subject anytime. Just call us at 646-721-9887. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And that, just press one and that lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. You're not just calling in to listen. So kind of want to get to some breaking news, breaking news music, Robin. The city of Eugene has decided to spend $370,000 to redesign Franklin Boulevard as the showcase entrance to Eugene. Mind you, you can't get to Franklin Boulevard southbound on I-5, but that's, that's, don't mind that. But they're, they're going to spend $370,000 to run a bunch of design studios and public meetings and all that stuff because... Franklin Boulevard is just too car friendly and they, they need to make it less car friendly. Um, now, seriously, the city of Eugene, um, you know, just there's an article in the Register Guard over the weekend 
folks might have missed it, you know, being gone for the holidays and all that stuff. But they are planning to spend $370,000 on a study uh, to redesign. Um, and it's going to include like a four-day design workshop. If you want to attend, you know, it's going to be held over at the uh, U of O. Um, some open studio hours and workshops to reveal, you know, all sorts of things. It's like, yeah, all right at the end of January, around 28th, 29th, and 31st of January. Uh, so put that on your calendars, you know, if you want to help have input on Franklin Boulevard. But it's all because they just think, you know, the city planners, as the guard quoted them, that the stretch is just too car-focused and needs to encourage walking, biking, and using transit. Now, mind you, this is the location of the first leg that was built of the MX bus rapid transit system. So this this corridor that is the primary highest ridership section of MX and LTD system is just not focused enough on transit. Okay, so with that in mind, I had I have to go back and talk a little bit about transportation planning and some history here. What's interesting, you know, I'm I'm a civil engineer, so I've been involved in a lot of city planning on and off through the, the years. I am not a tra- certified traffic engineer. I do not practice traffic engineering, but I worked with traffic engineers enough on project I I, I was working on. Uh, over the years or um, other projects. I've worked at, with them now as, as an elected official working on our transportation system plans that I probably know enough about traffic engineering to be dangerous. Um, but transportation planning, you know, is really about, you know, thinking about where's, where are cities going to grow, where are they designated to grow in the future, how much is that going to increase the average daily trips on that and the peak hour trips and are you going to be able to handle that? What level of services are you going to provide? And are you doing the, the you know, understanding where the city's going to grow, and where those peak trips are going to be and everything? Are you doing the right things in planning your transportation infrastructure to handle that load to maintain a certain level of service on those roadways? Which gets me to way back before MX was the first leg was built between the downtown station in Eugene and the downtown station Springfield, mostly using Franklin Boulevard. I went to a presentation by City of Eugene and LTD staff at a Rubicon Society meeting uh, years ago. And, you know, they had these rollout drawings of what they were going to be doing, you know, before and after Franklin Boulevard, pretty obvious to me with, you know, my, you know, nose enough to be dangerous about traffic engineering that the plans to add MX to Franklin Boulevard were going to reduce the vehicle throughput of Franklin Boulevard. And I, and I said, so how, you know, because they kept saying it was going to improve Franklin Boulevard. And I was like, how can you say that? Because one of the things they were talking about doing was having the buses get priority at the lights and and actually getting a green signal before the rest of traffic does, which means you're increasing the length of red signals for the through traffic on Franklin Boulevard. They also had, you know, took away some some turn lanes and some other issues along there. And as as you've driven down there, you can, you know, see how it snakes around a little bit. Um, So... You know, the answer I got back was, oh, we're counting the people that are going to ride MX as part of the additional throughput and and figuring that that's going to reduce cars actually on Franklin Boulevard. Franklin Boulevard already had one of the busiest bus routes already. So, you know, it was kind of, I I didn't see that they're actually going to take any cars off of it. They were just going to move the buses off of the roadway and into the the dedicated lanes, which were taking away traffic lanes. Now comes this redesign effort. And one of the things they say they're considering is increasing 
the MX facility there, instead of having a single lane where they have to go, they, they have kind of a system that allows one bus coming one way to go, and then it allows the other bus to use that stretch of, of alternating one-way traffic. Um, it, it's uh, it's really, um, you know, a place where, you know, it's a choke point and they want to try and increase the MX frequency because, you know, that it's not a problem. They're running every 10 minutes, but LTD would like to get it down to every seven and a half minutes. So they want to make that two directional and add a second lane in there. So after these promises back before they built it, that this really wasn't going to take away vehicle capacity. Now they want to add another bus lane parallel to the existing one. And I kind of question how are they going to do that without taking away traffic um, capabilities through there? In addition, they're talking about trying to make somehow or another this more bike friendly, even though this runs parallel to one of the heaviest used bike facilities there is, which is the, um, the river bike pass system and, and is a much better way to get to and from uh, and, uh, you know, not too far away from 12th Street, which is also a major bike route that runs east-west. Some reason they want to try and make Franklin Boulevard more bike-friendly, um, even though there's all parallel alternatives um, just to the north and south of Franklin Boulevard. But it, it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. I'm a little concerned they're going to, to, to put us on a street diet, kind of uh, – you know, kind of uh, like the uh, um, the Willamette Street on on you know where they put it on a diet and they took away some lanes and added bike lanes and all that. Um, and I don't know, you know, folks, how well that's worked out down there and and, and South Willamette Street down there, you know, about twenty um, fourth through twenty uh, eighth in that that area. Um, I've heard both good and bad about that. Mostly bad from the folks that have to drive and good for the folks that, that don't have to drive. <laughs> but, you know, it kind of, you know, makes me shake my head a little bit. And for those of you that don't know where Franklin Boulevard is, because a lot of you, you know, that listen to the Bozno show, you're out in Junction City, you might be over in Florence, or even up in Oak Ridge, you might not just have um, Eugene memorized, so to speak, because you might come into town to get to Walmart or Costco a couple times a week, and Franklin Boulevard is down near the University of Oregon. Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, has put a Google map of Franklin Boulevard up on our Facebook page. That's uh, KRBN News Talk Radio Facebook page. Um, so if you just go to that, you can see that uh, Internet News Talk Radio. That's, you know, KRBN. Just put in KRBN in Facebook, and I'm pretty sure you'll find it. Um, and there is on our page right now a Google map of Franklin Boulevard on the episode there. So on Facebook Live, it's probably come up too. But that's kind of showing right now that that, that already interesting function that they've changed Franklin Boulevard uh, on that same MX line to add um, two traffic circles back to back. So I'm kind of wondering, is that what they're envisioning down here in in, in Eugene's end of the, the Franklin Boulevard? Are we going to start putting in double traffic circles? Because um, I don't know if you anyone's driven through that area at night in the rain. It's pretty fun to navigate. Um, I know Robin just loves that that section of um, Franklin Boulevard. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I just realized something too. Yeah. Um, looking at the map here, um, this is a doodle. It's a doodle. This this design is a doodle. Yeah. I think, I think maybe somebody is just messing around and it just happened to fall into the wrong inbox. Yep. Yep. And they, and they went, oh, I think we should build this. Yeah. Yeah. But it kind of, you know, this whole thing stretches back to that whole concept of how, how do you do transportation planning for a city? And, and what do you accept as acceptable transportation planning? The city of Eugene, 
and I've mentioned this before, has approved a transportation system plan that accepts the level of service of E, which basically says they accept the fact that you are going to be sitting in standstill bumper-to-bumper traffic on a regular basis. They are not planning to expand their streets for the growth that's coming in the future of, of traffic, and they're going to let it become congested. In fact, in the downtown area, they're accepting a level of service of F. So that's, that's what's coming. And, and, it's, and it's with intent that the city of Eugene has designed their, you know, their transportation system plan to not expand for growth and to intentionally um, put folks in traffic jams every day. Not sure how that's helping out with the carbon footprint and not sure how that's um, you know, really going to, to make this a vibrant town. But I think what they're hoping it's going to do is make everybody want to get on the bus or ride a bike or carpool or force some kind of social change on the American public, which kind of likes the fact that they can drive to work in their own vehicle, know that if, you know, Johnny has, you know, track practice and Jane has, um, you know, piano lessons that they can get to what they need to do based on a changing schedule and not be dependent on, um, you know, public transportation or a carpool or having to constantly break that schedule to have the freedom to do what they need to transport their family to where they need to, to get it to and to be where they need to be. Um, so not to mention, not everyone has the capability to ride a bike to work or walk to work. Uh, you know, it, it's, you know, or even have the desire to. So pretty interesting. Although I understand there were some pretty uh, harsh comments posted on that article um, in the comments section about Franklin Boulevard um, as they look to that. And one of the interesting things is um, there seems to be some nexus between um, the University of Oregon and this look at Franklin Boulevard. So I was kind of wondering uh, what's going to happen there. You know, are we going to get a you know, if we do get a new traffic circle there, is there going to be a statue of Phil Knight in the center of it? Well, you know, I, I realized something, Look again, looking at this map. If you're coming from Springfield to Eugene, you get two opportunities to actually turn around and go back to Springfield. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why they did a double traffic circle. Yeah. Here's something that, that's scary, like you're referring to the Register Guard article, and and we uh, also posted it on Facebook, at least in the uh, – uh, the flip cards, is that in late November, the city took over ownership from the state transportation department of the stretch of Franklin Boulevard from Walnut to Riverview Streets. The move means the city will have more leeway in determining the project's final design. Broadly, it gives us more freedom to design a street that meets our needs as a city. I'm scared. Yeah, I'm a little scared, too. I mean, this is the city that spent millions of dollars improving the Ferry Street Bridge without adding any capacity for traffic to it. Yeah. You've had to have been in the community for a while, like I have, to remember that controversy back in the, uh, I think it was towards the late 90s, um, where the city was going to, got federal money to improve the Ferry Street Bridge and chose not to do anything to add traffic lanes. So it's still the the two lanes each direction that it's always been. They did widen the sidewalks, though. Well, there you go. Built the the DeFazio Bike Pedestrian Bridge with the money from that same project. So you got wider sidewalks. You did, they did do seismic upgrades to the bridge and, and maintenance upgrades to the bridge so it will last longer. Extended the lifespan of the bridge, but they didn't add any traffic capacity to it at all. So, folks, that you know, this 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 gets back to this, you know, the fact that the Valley River Bridge got cut out of their trans plan back years back. 
And now that we're, we're having to do some work to maintain the Washington Jefferson Bridge, which is choking traffic down there, one of the reasons why you're sitting still on Coburg Road is the city of Eugene chose not to add a lane to the Ferry Street Bridge back when they did those improvements. So yes, you know, knowing that history, you know, that they do things like that, I'm a little scared about what they're going to do with Franklin Boulevard. Yeah, what's interesting when you go onto the uh, uh, city of Springfield site about it's called the Glenwood Refinement Plan, and look at their dream map that they have in there. It's like a little small little city. Everybody's all happy and everything, and there's no cars. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I still haven't, you know, seen the, the, the prototypes or the, even the design drawings for transporters, but until, until, until those, you know, come about or, you know, digitizers like they had in Galaxy Quest. <laughs> well, the problem is, is that the flux capacitor is on back order. Yeah, yeah. People are going to have to get from point A to point B, and and the most common way that people do that is in a car. Yeah. In America, around most of the world, if it's much distance at all. And it rains a lot here, so heck with the bike. Yeah, yeah. So I just uh, kind of amazes me sometimes. Yeah, that's why they, uh, you know, we gave them the Drunken Architect Award. Yeah, we've given them the Drunken Architect Award. We've given them the What Were They Thinking Award. Now the What Are They Thinking Award. Um, I just, you know, it's interesting. And it just amazes me that they can spend almost $400,000 on planning efforts. And from what they're describing, it's a planning effort to start the planning process. Kind of like the plan to start the plan is going to cost $370,000. Yeah, just just remember this next time we whine that we don't have enough money to pay for law enforcement. Well, or the next time the city of Eugene goes out for a street bond because this is your road funds being spent. And they, and they keep having to go out for bonds to repair potholed streets because they're not maintaining them. You know, $370,000 puts a lot of, of chip seal and overlay down on roadways. Oh, I guess they're also thinking, oh, well, maybe, never mind, I guess they already did. Put a bike bridge underneath one of the main bridges. Yeah. Yeah. Right next to the uh, homeless camp. So, yeah, that sounds good. You know, yeah. Money at work. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it all gets, you know, works out. I mean, but it, Franklin Boulevard is going to be busier. I mean, if you really think about what's going on in Eugene from uh, I-5, you know, as you come northbound on I-5 and you can get on Franklin Boulevard, where you can actually access Franklin Boulevard from I-5. As you get on there, a short ways down is going to be the new uh, Knight Science Campus, where they're going to have a bunch of new buildings, you know, several hundred new employees and all that there, and it's going to be a real active center then there's that brand new high-rise apartment building that's going up right now and being constructed. They have that new one that's already there, the hub, and they've got the federal courthouse, the new federal courthouse. A little further around the corner is going to be Brian Obie's expansion of the Fifth Street Market, with the brand new um, 12-story high apartment building, a uh, two-story high. Um, two or three story high retail center and a, um, I think it's a six story high hotel. And then across the street from that is going to be the new um, workforce housing project that um, Homes for Good is doing. So, and then, you know, also as you think about it, you know, a a little ways off of there is going to be the redevelopment of the eWeb property. There's going to be a lot of new activity and, folks transiting Franklin Boulevard in the next, you know, five years, let alone thinking about the planning horizon that 
transportation system plans are supposed to be looking out 20 years. So there's going to be a, a whole lot more traffic on that stretch, yet it's focused on vehicles, too car focused. You know, it's not car focused enough, if you ask me, because it's not, it doesn't have the capacity. And that intersection with, with uh, East 11th there and the intersection with um, the Alder, um, is not Alder, um, the um, Patterson um, Street um, couplet uh, there, the two one-way streets that go north-south, those are going to get to be backed up, let alone that craziness they did by the federal courthouse at the base of the Ferry Street Bridge, where people get confused about, you know, which way am I supposed to go? Oh, my gosh, I don't want to go up on the Ferry Street Bridge. <laughs> you know, let alone that crazy pedestrian crossing they put at that 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 new uh, apartment complex called the Hub there that, you know, anytime one of those students wants to press the button and make the lights flash and bring traffic to a screeching halt, they do. Yeah, if you want to see craziness, um, can you see the Facebook page? I can get to it. Okay, because you'll, you'll love this. No. Can I re- refresh real quick? As, as Jay is going to his computer, flopping pages. And why am I not seeing the current show? Oh, there it is. Oh, yeah, you're showing that, that lovely um, colored picture of, of the... Uh, the roundabouts there in Franklin? Yeah, with all the, uh, in addition to the, well, it looks like a peanut shape yeah. <laughs> thing, um, with all the pedestrian crossings or bike crossings um, and extra streets. And yeah, it actually looks like a downtown university campus. Yeah, yeah, it, that that's some pretty craziness there, you know, with those those crazy crosswalks. And you know, how do the pedestrians know which way to be looking for traffic? You keep crossing a lane, crossing a lane, and then you know, an aisle and a lane, an aisle and a lane. It's like, are they going to be looking the right direction? <clears throat> Considering that if you're coming from either direction, you're you're trying to navigate this curve. Then next thing, then you got to merge, then you got to crosswalk, then you got a curve, then you got a crosswalk, and then you got another curve that you have to kind of focus on. And there's, it, there's too much focus on trying to just stay on the road, much less your surroundings. Yeah. So I'm waiting for the first lawsuit when somebody gets ran over over this and uh, challenges this design. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, hopefully that's, you know. We'll see what the city of Eugene comes up with with their $370,000, but hopefully it's not more of this that you have up on our Facebook page. So, again, you can control the topic here on the Bo's Nose Show. Just call us at 646-721-9887, or you can weigh in on Franklin Boulevard County Courthouse or any other subject you want to weigh in on. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1. That lets us know you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show. And, uh, you know, we have about five minutes left in the show, and you can change the subject or comment on any of this. But, Robin, there was one comment in the guard that you read to me earlier that I, I couldn't get to. Uh, do you still have that one? Yeah. Because uh, definitely somebody's got 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 their tongue firmly planted in their cheek in the satire font on. Because uh, <laughs> you want to read that one? Because I I thought it was somewhat humorous. I got uh, well four different comments in here, so I'm not sure which one. Uh, uh, there was one in particular you read me that was well done. I thought. Like do you do you have to fail an intelligence test in order to work in the planning department in Oregon? And another one, which is, why do city planners think people want to walk from Eugene to Springfield? That's the one. (laughs) Cluelessness is apparent. This stretch of road 
is not Eugene's signature gateway. It is not even accessible from I-5 going south. If we have a signature gateway, it is either Highway 99 coming in from the airport, quite possibly the ugliest drive in Willamette Valley, or I-5 at Coburg Road, which deposits the wary traveler smack in the middle of Homeless Central. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yes. Yeah, the, the way the, that peanut-shaped thing is a perfect campsite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and until they resolve the Boise versus uh, Martin um, Ninth District of the federal court, you know, uh, issue there where they basically said we can't move people out of public property that are camping unless we've got an, an alternative low um, barrier, non-religious shelter available, bed shelter bed available for them. Um, we're going to see a lot of that camping on public property. Yeah. Yeah. Nice green. Um, actually, okay. I'm going to be a little smart out here, but I'm almost afraid they might take me seriously. We could we could make that a motorized turnstile. You just drive up on it and spin around until you want to get off. Yeah. Yeah, and take turns waiting for your turn on the turnstile. That yeah. that'll that'll make traffic work well. Yeah, and to, and to encourage pedestrians, we'll put little uh, um, merry-go-round horses and stuff on there. Ah, uh, yes, I can see it now. <laughs> But I'm sure some animal rights group would object to the, the, the use of, of depictions of animals as beasts of burden in a public right-of-way. <laughs> well, in that case, we'll just put cubes like the Borg. Yeah. Speaking of satire font, <laughs> here on the Bose Nose Show. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, you can tell it's been a long set of holidays for me. And, I, and you can also tell that your host, Westland County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, got up at 4.30 this morning so he could be on the radio at KPNW at 6.25, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed after driving in from beautiful downtown Elmira. And uh, I am getting a little punchy at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but I hold the record by a long shot of six o'clock hour appearances on the wake-up call on KPNW, and and particularly in studio six o'clock appearances, and being reliable to show up at six o'clock, <laughs> especially on January second after a long holiday weekend. That's right to get there. Yep. Ah, uh, yes, that that other radio show. The other we all, we all hope you continue listening to the Bo's Nose Show, though. Your direct line to your county commissioner. Yep. And anytime you want to get a hold of us, even between shows, you can message us on our Facebook page, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio. You can email us here at talk at krbnradio.net. Or you can find me on Facebook just by putting in Jay Bozovich and can message me there. Go to my Jay Bozovich West Lane County Commissioner Facebook page and message me through there. Or you can just, you know, look me up on the county um, page and email me through my county email. There's just a bazillion ways to get a hold of me other than listening to the Bozno show and calling in live. And hopefully you'll do that next week when we be back. And it'll be shortly after I've given the state of the county speech. We can talk about that happens on Monday. We also have our first board meeting where we're going to elect new board leadership with our first meeting with our new board members, Heather Buck and Joe Burney. So lots to talk about next week, including our first budget meeting of the year will happen before the next Bose Note show. So I hope you'll be listening next week. And I want to thank you for listening this week with the no guest host, Boat Show. Hope you have a great week. <laughs>